0: welcome to the truth about your health podcast where it's our mission to expose the truth about your health to burnt out men and women so we can empower a hundred million people to go from exhausted to energized we do this by exposing the truth in all different areas of health and wellness on each podcast that you are simply just not being told and this ultimately prevents you from having the abundance of energy that you are looking for All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of The Truth About Your Health, where it is our mission to empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. And no more is that evident in getting to the root cause of why you're so exhausted and tired. And this is part three with our special guest, Morley Robbins, who is the creator of the Root Cause Products Call, as well as the Magnesium Advocacy Group. He's got his BA in biology at Denison University and holds an MBA at George Washington as well. He was in healthcare administration, but now he spends his life dedicated to research and educating the masses on how we're being hoodwinked on what our energy production revolves around and almost everything we do and are taught in terms of his words being misled and misfed, get us further from the truth than closer. So, Morley, thank you so much for being here yet again for part three.
1: Thank you so much. I really am enjoying this uh, ongoing dialogue and I'm certainly sure going to leave even more discussion as we
0: progress. Yeah, for- so, yeah, so, so you know, and again, I'm proud of my war-torn book here, um, The the <laughs> Cure, um, Cure Your Fatigue, How Balancing Three Minerals and One Protein is the Solution That You're Looking For. This is how you had already been on my radar before that, but through my research and all the exhausted and burnt out people that I work with, just continuing going down those rabbit holes and understanding that the energy production problem is the number one problem, whether you think you have fibromyalgia or in the case that we work with adrenal fatigue or HPA axis dysfunction, at the end of the day, you're not producing energy at the level that you need to. And just to recap what we've talked about so far, far, we've talked about the categories in in your book the why you're so tired being misled and misfed information, how modern day healthcare is anything but how we are being basically um, I, I guess removed from the truth of how your body actually makes energy, because that's not being taught in 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 medical school or healthcare schools at all. Uh, also w- what the result of that is in terms of oxidation. Uh, and then ultimately, what do we do about it? And one of the most exciting things that we talked about last time was was stress and fatigue and the relationship between that and energy. And then ultimately, we start, We ended with the stops and, and the things that we need to do to stop decreasing the availability of the most important nutrient bioavailable copper so that our cells will breathe effectively. And it's, it's, an, it's an either or. You're either using oxygen effectively to produce ATP or you're producing exhaust. And if you're not making an income, you're creating an expense and it's even worse to create an expense when you don't have an income. So here we are. And and I wanted to get into the starts of what people should do. We'll definitely have the links posted so that they can get access to the first two interviews. Uh, But I think it's a good place to springboard from Morley in terms of the starts. But of course, if you want to just catch us up with any thoughts that come to your head before we do that, then by all means, let's get started.
1: No, absolutely. I, I, what I enjoy, Joel, is uh, you probably are my twin in terms of being able to come up with analogies that people understand. Income versus expense—that's really what it's about. The other one that I've used over the years is we've all, at some point, if, if have either done this personally or we've witnessed it, someone trying to balance on a boogie board, with, where like, there's a ball in the middle, and you got to keep your body in balance. And anyone who's done that knows the energy that's required in the legs to maintain that balance. Well, that's what this is all about. When we wanna have metabolic homeostasis, stay in balance, you gotta be producing lots of energy. When we don't have the energy, when we start to fatigue on that boogie board, what happens? We're gonna go to one side or the other. And that's where most people find themselves when they're in a state of exhaustion. Whether we can use the phrase adrenal exhaustion or fatigue or Chronic, chronic myalgia, whatever the fibromyalgia, whatever the right phrase is, there is, there is a loss of cellular energy. And, and, it, and it's on a scale that it's affecting our ability to stay in balance. So it really, it's important for people to realize why this energy is so important. And again, with the, the, the phrase that I'm using of late is, ignore the enemies, ignite the energy. And it's not to, to be naive that there aren't enemies out there. We know there are, but the body is amazingly designed. Once it has the, the capacity, the natural capacity to make energy, the, the pathogens go away. They disappear. They, they, are, they are annihilated or they go back into their dormant state. And it's just, a, it's a fact of physiology that that's how it works. And so the, the intention of the root cause protocol is to restore energy at a macro level, and at a micro level, restore the bioavailability of copper, and and there are a series of steps that we go through, and one of the one of the most important is we did we went through many of the stops in our last discussion, and I think it's good for people to know that there are some uh, critical um, roadblocks to allowing the body to restore its energy. One of the big roadblocks is being allergic to your environment. You know, there are people that, that are reacting to their foods, they're reacting to mold, they're reacting to whatever the factor might be in, the, in their general environment. And that reaction is a histamine response, you know, mast cell activation disorder, whatever the, the um, right phraseology is. And histamines are a very powerful hormone, as you well know. Uh, they are the hormone of alert, letting the body know we have a crisis. You, you were talking about the, the stuff outside the cell and the stuff inside the cell. Well, what does histamines do? It ejects potassium and magnesium out of the intracellular space and it floods the, um, the cell with calcium and um, sodium and water to try to f- flush out whatever whatever the, the problem was and in the short term, that's a good thing, but if it's being done on a chronic basis, as you know, it's, it's a very bad thing. So we encourage people to, to do techniques like NAET to begin to turn off that um, error message. It's basically what it is. That, that they what I've learned over the years, more by inference than by information, But but when I'm dealing with someone who is highly sensitive to their environment, they've got this much copper, and they've got this much iron. It's that they're out of control with iron and iron really destabilizes uh, the capacity to stay in balance. So controlling the histamine response is very, very important. So it's a, and and what, what people need to know is that the, the master antioxidant protein, it's not glutathione. Everyone loves to talk about how important glutathione is. It's, a, it's important. But, but the master antioxidant protein is ceruloplasmin. It expresses about 20 different ways in the body. But one of the most important is that in the presence of histamine, there's a fourfold rise of the expression of histaminase. We, we know it as diamine oxidase, but histaminase back in the, in the late 1940s was the enzyme that broke down histamines. So, it, so what does that say? Well, if you're copper deficient, if you have low bioavailable copper, you will be more vulnerable to the histamine response because you cannot mobilize the histaminase enzyme to neutralize it. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. So, overreactivity to the environment is number one. Number two, too much iron. And I think part of the, the challenge in the modern era is to get past the narrative of your anemic and your copper toxic, It's, you you refer to it as the the paradox. The paradox is it's the inverse of what we're being told it is. And most people are, they may present with low iron in the blood, but it's stuck in the tissue because it's not gonna get properly recycled. And I know we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. So the, the, the ability to recycle that iron uh, it's, it's paramount. <clears throat> and one of the things that we encourage people to do is to do blood donations on a regular basis. You know, if you're a, a guy and a postmenopausal woman, you can do a, a blood donation probably every quarter. If you're a cycling woman, still with your menstrual cycle, um, probably two or three times a year is still advisable. And because that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that loss of blood is a tonic. It, it forces the body, mobilizes the body to <clears throat> replace all those red blood cells, which is a very important uh, process to reignite in the body. Because most people have never given blood in their lifetime, which is kind of a scary thing, but, but it is what it is. And then there's a, um, a third phenomenon that, that's probably, it might be as, it might be more significant than anything else. And that's the notion that whenever we have unresolved emotional issues, they're gonna become fear inside our psyche. And fear is a very powerful emotion as I think everyone can attest to, but but there's important research that's been done around the emotion of fear and the fact that it creates hypoxia, which is not a good thing on a metabolic level, and um, very important study done by Zamin Pira, Z-A-M-I-N-P-I-R-A, 2018, uh, looks at how this fear creates hypoxia in cells and cancer in humans. And it, what's important for people to understand is that that the the emotion of fear triggers two hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. Well, adrenaline fuel injector, but has a very powerful relationship with iron. And what you don't want to do is mix adrenaline and iron because that's going to create adrenochrome. And that's that's the fuel for schizophrenia. And cortisol triggers a four to five-fold increase in metallothionine protein. And what's metallothionine do? It binds up copper a thousand times stronger than it binds up zinc. So effectively, what you're doing when you're in a state of fear, you know, acute fear is one thing, chronic fear, and again, we're only we're we're 18 months, almost two years now, into a chronic state of fear. And that has a profound effect on our copper status our bioavailable copper status and our ultimately our ability to make energy so those are some really powerful roadblocks to get in the way the fourth that we're beginning to dip our toe into uh, and I do it with some degree of trepidation but I think it's a very profound state that we find ourselves in where we know there are multiple pathogens out there and we have a real seems we have a real understanding of Bacteria, and yeast, and um, viruses. We seem to be really fuzzy about parasites, and it, it, it's not taught in medical school. I have, I have a friend who um, undergrad at the Naval Academy, went to nuclear sub school, and then as he decided he wanted to be a doctor, and his he he said he said medical school was a joke compared to nuclear sub school, but he said that because he was gonna be stationed overseas, he specifically took a course in parasitology, which none of his classmates took. And he said, it's he thinks it's one of the glaring weaknesses of conventional training, that these parasites are wicked. I think we're learning that. We don't need to dwell on that. But what we're realizing is that parasites are really good at living on iron and destabilizing copper status. And what I was shocked to learn last year by reading a patent application. And patent applications are based on, it's basically a, um, a deposition. You know, it's it's a legal document that you're transmitting information that, that has the basis of, of law, if you will. And it, it, this was a particular patent for a drug to deal with multiple sclerosis. And in the, in the, had an application they said it would be good for the reader to know that autoimmune disease is a byproduct of parasites affecting the immune system. Well, that was the light bulb moment because suddenly a lot of things began to make more sense then. And so, you know, there are over, what is it, over a hundred different expressions of autoimmune now. So again, it's 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 sort of an uncomfortable um merger of two ideas energy and enemies right but but what we're realizing is that that these parasites are easily overlooked and the, the typical response is to go after them via um, gut detox programs Well parasites are all over the body and they're there for a reason and so we have to address them with frequency, not necessarily with chemicals so we've we've identified these four, Uh, cornerstones of of roadblocks, if you will, because what we need to do ultimately is remove as much of the uh, noise, the the chronic stress that we have in our lives, so that when we start to focus on the starts, the body can begin to get its mojo back. And, you know, again, it's important for people to refresh their understanding of the stops, because most of those are um, dissing mainstream recommendations, especially in the, in the current era. But, but the starts are really uh, designed to restore copper and to restore the bioavailability of copper and, and begin to in, inject more um, mineral balance, if you will. And so we, we put particular emphasis on things like bee pollen and real vitamin C, as opposed to ascorbic acid, they're very different. Uh, you know, real vitamin C is an antioxidant. It's a complex, has six moving parts. Like ascorbic acid is a prooxidant. And, and it's in the literature. It's, it's a very hotly debated point. <clears throat> but the, the fact of the matter is, a uh, real vitamin C has an engine at its core called tyrosinase. Now, what will be a very educational moment for your listeners is to look up in food journals all of the tyrosinase inhibitors, wink, wink, get it? We don't want the food to spoil. What are they really doing? They're introducing tyrosinase inhibitors in our body through the food, and people don't realize how critical darkness is to the function of the human body. That, I mean melatonin melatonin, which is, is uh, produced in every mitochondria, it's the chemical expression of darkness. and it's a very powerful antioxidant. And the, the, the role that, that melanin plays in restoring and maintaining our energetic uh, balance is profound. Uh, there's even a, a theory out of, of Mexico that melanin, Encapsulates the mitochondria, and it's it's just it, it it's the work of um, Solus Herrera, amazing sun, sun man Solus Herrera, um, but it's it's phenomenal work about our we really do have a blind spot around a uh, tyrosinase if it, it's doing way more than just hair color, eye color, and skin color, and it's just there it turns out there are. Uh, dots on our skeleton. And on a chimpanzee, there are 11 dots. And on a human uh, spinal cord, there are 12 dots. That's fascinating to know. But those dots have metabolic purpose in our physiology. And so um, it's important to understand that vitamin C, real vitamin C, profoundly important. And in an era where mineral content of the soil is subject to question, we really do need to turn to uh, supplements to make sure we're getting our requisite amount of of, uh, tyrosinase. And then we have focus on uh, beef liver as a prime source of of many nutrients, not the least of which is a healthy cow eating properly nourished grass. Uh, is gonna have twice as much copper as it has iron we've been raised to believe that the liver is an iron organ when in fact, the liver was really designed to store two nutrients, retinol, vitamin A, and copper. The hepatocytes live for retinol and vitamin, excuse me, retinol and uh, copper. And that's the seed of where the bulk of ceruloplasm is produced in the hepatocytes of the liver. So beef liver and there are other, other, obviously, other animals that we can use, but there's a difference in the uh, concentrations. Not all liver is the same. There's dramatic differences between um, beef liver, bison liver, uh, sheep liver. You know, um, I don't know, elk liver. There, you just need to look it up in a nutrient profile. And what you really want is you want looking for a bolus of copper, bioavailable copper. And what's a very rich source of retinol in our diet? It's liver. What you want to stay away from is polar bear liver. It'll it'll knock you over and and you'll probably uh, go into a coma because of the amount of nutrients in in polar bear liver. But but the thing is, uh, there are these nutrient dense sources of food out there. And so we put priority emphasis on those. We put tremendous emphasis on the importance of minerals in general. Particularly as it relates to um, making sure you're, you're eating foods that have been properly raised in mineral rich soil, but mineralize the, the water that you're drinking and make sure that you're not afraid to put salt, you know, pro- proper salt on your food, because that's what our ancestors did. What does what, what the, the word salad actually mean? It means salt. So, you, what makes the salad really special is to sprinkle it with salt. It's what brings it to life. And we have been horribly, as, you, as you've noted, misled and misfed, because we've been told that, oh, sodium is bad. It was never, the sodium was the problem. They took potassium out of the picture. What's hypertension? It's too little potassium. You don't have potassium in your system. There's all sorts of miscommunications and it's, I think it's worth noting for the listener, what's, the, what's one of the most effective ways to cause renal potassium wasting? Take vitamin D supplements. Dr. John Ferris, noted professor of medicine at uh, Yale Medical School in 1962, wrote an article to that effect. Nobody knows about it, but, but as soon as you lower potassium in the cell, Again, back to inside, outside, when you lower potassium in the cell, guess who comes flooding in? Iron. And it's, boy, that's not, that's not something you wanna get excited about, but it, it has a profound effect. <clears throat> and there are multiple studies that look at that very dynamic. So there, there is tremendous emphasis placed on making sure that we are restoring mineral status. One of the more popular ways is what we call adrenal cocktails. It's a very simple uh, concoction. Was, I came upon it uh, by a, a nurse who became a uh, naturopath. Her name was Susan Blackert. She was outside of the St. Louis area. And it's, you know, take um, four ounces of fresh squeezed orange juice. Take a quarter teaspoon of sea salt, quarter teaspoon of, she at the time was using uh, cream of tartar, but your your preferred form of potassium, and and drink it. Mid morning, mid afternoon. Why mid morning, mid afternoon? Because those are the classic adrenal drop times. Who who did the original research of that? About when did the adrenals get weakest? Oh, it was Dr. Pepper. If you remember the the logo for Dr. Pepper was a clock face, ten to four. I don't know you, Joel, you may be too young to remember that. All right. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I but I grew up with that, and. I mean, the Dr. Pepper of today is very different than what I grew up with, I can tell you that. But the point is, uh, they knew through the research that the adrenal function sagged around 10 o'clock when we go for coffee and between two and four o'clock when we have another coffee break. And it's like, we've just been conditioned that, yeah, I need a jolt of caffeine, when in fact the body's supposed to be restoring its own energy production. And and how does it do that? We better have that, you've gotta have bioavailable copper And I I think one of the best explanations for adrenal fatigue uh, comes by way of Tom Callan, noted uh, Bay Area physician. I think he's now retired, but um, he calls adrenal fatigue fat deficiency syndrome. And it's it's absolutely genius. And what's the fat? It's retinol. And where's 95% of the real vitamin C stored in the human body? In the adrenal glands, the ad renal, adrenal, adrenal is on top of the renal glands. And you gotta have retinol, you gotta have that copper. And that's when the magic happens inside the uh, adrenal glands to produce the 50 hormones that they're supposed to be uh, synthesizing day in and day out. You know, what I find absolutely entertaining is is this little butterfly here, I like to call it the thyroid, you know, it makes one hormone right and 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 all the electron microscopes and telescopes are all focused on the, the thyroid and and what are we taught ah the adrenal glands that they don't matter they, that's that's all hocus pocus 50 50 hormones come on folks let's let's put the and i think you understand that you, that's why you put such a priority emphasis on it but again it's another case of of paradox the 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 focus is here when in fact your, your focus is where it belongs, back back on the uh, adrenal. And so um, we put p- particular emphasis on things like boron. Boron helps to regulate iron. That's it. Boron has a very powerful relationship with oxygen. And it seems to stem the creation of oxidative stress, which is very, very important. But we also use things like, um, diatomaceous earth um, and rice bran. Rice bran is just a very rich source of of B vitamins. And as is the liver that we talk about, Um, the diatomaceous earth is is just a very um, low-tech way of dealing with pathogens, parasites especially. Um, It's not, it doesn't taste great, but but it's very effective at what it does. Uh, And then we also, um, towards the end of the process, we introduce iodine. And it's not that we don't understand what iodine does, but here's a, a part that people may not know. One of the most important properties of copper is the enzyme called ferrooxidase. And it, what that enzyme does is one of the oldest enzymes on the planet. It, it turns ferrous iron, plus two valence into ferric iron plus three valence so that the iron can be properly loaded onto either transferrin or can be properly stored in the ferritin protein. Very, very important function. So ferrooxidase, it's the classification is called multi-copper oxidases. Again, these are ancient, ancient enzymes, go back to the beginning of, of oxygen on the planet. Allegedly, there are over 1,000 different expressions of multi-copper oxidases in our gut. Let your mind get, get around that thought. And the, the key is being able to turn ferrous into ferric iron. Very, very important for proper iron regulation. <clears throat> and, when, and when that happens, water is given off when copper is the mineral running that enzyme. Really important. Water's a good thing, we know that. Well, it turns out that iodine has very similar properties. Iodine can also convert ferric, excuse me, ferrous iron into ferric iron, but there's a catch. There's no water given. So why is is iodine so popular? because it it deals with the the culprit, the true culprit of all of our unrest is dysregulated iron. And unlike ferroxidase, which has this natural capacity to recycle itself, iodine, you gotta reload it every day. And Big Pharma loves that. And so the, the practitioners who are pushing iodine are doing it for the right reasons but they don't understand what the implications are. And I think there's undue emphasis on the thyroid because the thyroid does not run the body. And that, maybe that's a discussion we can have another day. But um, that is, again, another paradox, as you say. And it's meant to confuse the heck out of us. And it does. So it's just, there's a lot of mythology behind the steps that people take to get healthy and they don't understand the true physiology of it. And I only, I'm, I'm only beginning to understand it. And I think you certainly are a student of this as well. And we're, we're really trying to make um, sense out of this very um, chaotic series of instructions we've been given, do this, do that. But, but now we're beginning to understand the physiology of it and the metabolism of it and the energetics of it. And what we've been told, in the conventional world makes no sense in the world of energy. And so it's, that's really where I put the, the priority emphasis. So that's yeah. a, that gives at least an initial overview. Uh,
0: I, I have some notes here. I don't know if I'll be able to get all to them because there's so many great things that you just said there, uh, morally. Uh, the The first thing, though, is originally what you talked about in terms of having the energy... Uh, to run your, your body. I, I think a lot of people don't understand, well, I don't really have an energy problem. They think at the macro level, they think, well, y- you know, I may not have the energy to, to run a marathon, but I, I, it's not that I, I don't, f- I don't think energy for those that have the shades of gray problems of not having cellular respiration, they don't understand the importance of cellular energy. And when we talked about before we got started today was the ability just to be able to have those cells respond and get nutrients like a histamine reaction flush out the tissues and be able to depolarize the cell and be able to get information to and from the cells so that your systems run properly ultimately so that's what we're talking about energy the analogy also i like at what i've heard is the metabolic reserve and, and and that's where the adrenals come in in terms of maintaining homeostasis and even like the new term hormesis and giving it different stressors and allostasis is the ability to bounce back and 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 ultimately the analogy is you're in a in a canoe in a in a pa- and paddling up a stream that you're going upstream with and you're working hard to to maintain or go forward but there's the metabolic drift where ultimately you fall behind and you're working a lot harder just to catch up, let alone fall over the waterfall. That's really what the energetic problem is in the cells per se. Um, The the other thing I wanted to mention was just as far as the autoimmune, it's really interesting too, with the parasites. Uh, I've heard it be in terms of the autoimmunity first starts with nutritional deficiencies. And that would kind of go along the lines of if you're not breathing effectively and you're oxidizing, then you're depleting yourself of your minerals and you become mineral imbalanced. And then you more susceptible to, to evils, as you've mentioned it. So, um, yeah, a lot of interesting things there. The, the thing I wanted to talk about, too, with you is the fact of the um, energetics of getting nutrients into and out of the cell. I, I think that's really important. But before we go there, we, we had talked about the recycling of iron. And so I think that's important for people to understand because I know that's going to take a little more information. And if we get back to the, I think we did talk a lot about just making sure that we have proper energy to run, run the system. Uh, so as far as the recycling of, of iron. So as you mentioned in the book, ideally we're, we're intaking one milligram of iron per day. Um, 95%, maybe you can correct me 95% of the iron that we have in our body is recycled. So I, I tell people, think of it as like an assembly line where you eat food, and there's iron going to be in the food. And and as you wrote down so eloquently in your book, it's not that we don't absorb iron. We, we actually over absorb iron or we keep iron stuck in our enterocytes. And it, it, when people say, well, I, I'm iron deficiency or I have iron anemia, I don't absorb iron. They need to understand you don't get iron into your bloodstream, if that's what you mean by absorb, because enterocytes in the intestinal area is not getting iron out of those places. But either way, you get iron, it gets absorbed ideally, if everything's working, all things being equal, it gets exported or transported in the tissues and into the blood. It goes into the cell, it gets used. And then like our environment today, we want to recycle the the parts that we don't use or the parts that we use but are inorganic or they're 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 metals, right? And they need to be able or They need to be able to be reused again. And so, you know, that's why we have this recycling system. And anywhere along that assembly line that doesn't work effectively is going to create stress in the body or oxygenation that is going to mix with free radicals. And instead of making energy, it's going to create exhaust. So why don't you explain? Because I would like a little more deeper understanding myself as well as the listeners as, What goes wrong with the recycling of iron, and how copper plays a role in all of that? What's that?
1: We have a couple days to talk about this. Yeah, right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, This very, very important issue, and and I think what you picked up on, which I want to emphasize, the the process of iron absorption, two step process. The first step is getting the iron into the enterocyte. Again, pretend this is an enterocyte. This is the the villi, and this is the body of the cell. And and the bloodstream is down here. And so the the iron has got to get from from the villi into the body of the cell, but then it's got to get out of the cell, out of the enterocyte, into the bloodstream. So that that requires some degree of sophistication, and turns out it's real easy to get iron into the enterocyte. Easy peasy. I mean, there's all sorts of reductase enzymes to make sure that, again, the, the, that the um, iron that's in our food system is there. There actually are five five doorways for iron to get into the enterocyte. That's a good thing to know. Like like the body's like, come on in, come on in, come on in. Getting it out, not not as easy, and so the the key is that um, there's a there's a front door, and there's a back door. Front there are lots of front doors. You can see all these different front doors. The back door, it's called Pharaoh Porton, iron doorway, Pharaoh Porton doorway, and it is run by a copper doorman. And if an enzyme, and and it's a ferrooxidase enzyme, and it's called hefestin. So what you have in the human body are three different expressions of ferrooxidase. We have ceruloplasmin, which is in our blood and in our tissue, but for the most part, it's in the blood. We have hefestin, it's a play on on the Greek um, mythology about the the furnace. But Hephaestin, very important expression of ferrooxidase, particularly in the enterocytes. Uh, it, it's in our eyes, it's in other tissue, but for the most part, it's in the gut. And there's a third expression called zyclopen, cyclops, cyclops. Again, the, the hematologists seem to have a real sense of humor with uh, Greek mythology. But zyclopen shows up in the placenta of the pregnant woman. And what's worth noting is that a pregnant woman actually expresses all three, ceruloplasmin, hefestin, and cyclopen. And guess what birthing practitioners never measure? Copper status, hmm, interesting. So the, 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 the hefestin is vitally important to make sure that the iron that's in the enterocyte can be turned into a plus three form. Because what happens is when it's coming into the enterocyte, it doesn't matter what form it is; it's going to be plus two inside the, the body of the cell. And then, in order to get it out of the cell, it's got to be turned back into a plus three, into a ferric form. Now, if you or I were designing a body, we probably wouldn't do that. But for some reason, there's this this valence change when you're going through membranes, and copper is essential for those valence changes, but The iron that gets into the enterocyte, gets into our gut, in order to be properly absorbed, needs to get into the bloodstream. And the critical factor is ferric iron gets attached to transferrin, transports iron, transferrin. And that iron is going to go one of two places. It's either going to go to the bone marrow, where new red blood cells are made, or it's going to go to the liver. It doesn't go to 78 places. And, and in fact, the part of our anatomy that has the highest avidity or attraction for iron is our bone marrow. Absolute off the chart uh, need for iron to maintain the production of red blood cells as we've discussed. And so the hephaestin, the expression of ferrooxidase <clears throat> does three things. It changes the valence it accelerates the, the, the uh, movement of iron through that doorway and it secures its attachment to transferrin. That, those are three very powerful things that need to happen. And so the iron then goes to transferrin and then at some point that iron is going to get incorporated into red blood cells. And as we've noted in earlier conversations, every second of every day, we make more than 2 million red blood cells, which is a mind-blowing number. And the uh, the 5%, 95% is that um, 5% of the iron we need for that recycling program, one milligram, comes from our diet. 95% of the iron needed for that recycling program comes from the iron we need for the building of red blood cells comes from a recycling program. But we're really only talking about a small amount of iron, but 95% of it is from a recycling program. And so let's drill in a little deeper. And so the formal name of the system is called reticuloendothelial system, RES and it's a really scary term, particularly endothelial, took me almost two years to figure out that meant recycling. Like, wow, okay. So why is this such a big deal? And here's one of the great unknowns of human physiology, Joel, you'll get a kick out of this. We know that in the red blood cell, it's basically a waiter carrying oxygen. where the oxygen molecules go when we breathe in there's this rich supply of of hemoglobin there and they're offloading carbon dioxide and they're unloading oxygen and thank god they do and and then they start to get circulated around the body and and where are they going they're going to all the cells that need oxygen in order to make energy and it's just your mind boggles at the the amount of, of uh RBC traffic that must be taking place around the tissue. But this is the great unknown. we got these red blood cells carrying oxygen. They can't make energy aerobically. They're carrying oxygen, but they can't use it. So they make energy anaerobically. What gives the red blood cell its flexibility? And the, the technical term is deformability. Deformability, why didn't you just say flexible? No, they call it deformability. And so that's what allows it to squeeze into the little capillary spaces. And what allows it to have that deformability is energy, energy production. And it's an anaerobic glycolysis that has 10 enzymes. How many of them require magnesium? Eight. Wow. That's a lot of uh, enzyme activity. And that's why the magnesium inside the red blood cell is so important. It's a clue about how resilient, how energetic are these red blood cells? Because the more resilient and energetic they are, the longer they're gonna live. They're supposed to live 120 days. If they don't have proper stores of of magnesium and copper at their disposal, the life cycle drops to 20 days. There's a big difference between 120 days and 20 days. And so in a state of copper deficiency and, and magnesium deficiency, we go back to Lucy and Ethel at the chocolate factory when the manager walks in and says, speed it up, boys. When you have a a very significant change in life cycle, you're suddenly stuffing stuff all over your body, right? Trying to, and that's what happens when the red blood cell only has a 20-day cycle. the the pace, it's a six-fold increase in, in activity. So energy production for the red blood cell is very, very important, and, it turns out that one of the most important things that the process of going from a stem cell to a fully mature red blood cell takes about two days and there are about six or seven stages i think it's seven stages in between but stage five is when the red when the erythroid cell which is a precursor to a red blood cell but the erythroid cell needs to offload the nucleus offload the mitochondria and offload excess iron. There's too much as the as the cell is maturing it realizes I got too much iron I got it I've got to unload it and if it can't unload that iron it doesn't become hemoglobin which then doesn't allow it to become a red blood cell. So the inability <clears throat> to let the iron out through that ferroportin doorway becomes really important especially in the production of red blood cells, again, over 2 million a second. Think about think about that, playing in the background as we're listening, as we're having this conversation, be thinking about trying to keep track of 2 million cells, trying to offload all this activity, it's just, it, it's crazy. But that's why, I think that's why Carl Sagan got into this expression, billions and billions. It's like, we can't even comprehend what's going on. So then we're back to the most mysterious part of human metabolism. We know that the mitochondria, again, 40 quadrillion, average cell 500, huge diversity in terms of going from from a liver cell to a brain cell in terms of how many mitochondria there are. And the mitochondria need to turn oxygen into water. And that process of turning O2 into two molecules of H2O requires pH of 7. And when that pH is right, three energy precursor cells, three ADP, go over to complex 5 to become three magnesium ATP. And that's the currency that runs the cell. The unknown, I think, I think you're going to find this fascinating. Nobody knows how oxygen gets from outside the cell to the mitochondria. There's a, there's, there's no, there's no literature on it. The closest you're going to come is Witteson and Witteson. Wh- oh yeah, Witteson, I think it's the last name, um, 2007, and they had a theory no one's been able to substantiate it. We don't know how oxygen gets from outside the cell into, is it active transport? Is it just, just gaseous diffusion? And the reason why I put emphasis on this is we're talking about the second most reactive element on the planet. This is, not, this is not some benign play-doh we're talking about. This is oxygen that is highly reactive and nobody knows how it gets to the mitochondria. Really? I find that fascinating. And so the process of turning that oxygen into water, as we get into the electron transport chain, very important movement of electrons through the different complexes, you got to have the reducing factors, NAD+, and FADH2, and these are very important NADH, not NADH plus, NADH. But you've got to have these reducing factors in order to support the movement of electrons. And you've got to have the shuttle carriers. You've got to have coenzyme Q and you've got to have cytochrome C. Well, it turns out that that um, the, the cytochrome BC complex, which hangs out at complex three, relies on ubiquinol to receive it. Cytochrome C at complex four, guess what it requires, what it it, um, relies on? Retinol. Turns out retinol is an electron carrier. That's buried in the the research, it's amazing. So when you start to take retinol out of your diet, you're gonna start to create a more reactive electron transport chain. Well, that's a good thing to know. And what does glucose do? Again, we seem to have a choice in our diet between sugar and fat, right? They want us more sugar, less fat. They don't want us eating as much fat. Well, if you have more sugar, it slows down the electrons. Does that sound like a good idea, Joel? To slow down electrons in the electron transport chain? Do you think you're gonna create more static? Think you're gonna create more oxidative stress? Of course you are. And so that dynamic is taking place and, Somewhere in this process, and I, I, I really, I uh, beg of you to, to be forgiving because nobody talks about this, but the process of getting oxygen to the mitochondria, we're assuming that iron is still carrying the oxygen and that iron, what, after it's dropped off its payload, and, and, it's, and what is it? what form is it in? It's in a plus two form to carry oxygen. So when it's in transferrin, when it's in ferritin, it's plus three. But when it's the waiter, which is seventy percent of the iron in your body, is a waiter. When it's the waiter, it's plus two. And and it needs to be recycled into two very important um, metabolites. You got to be able to make heme, heme protein, and you've got to be able to make iron sulfur clusters and they come in different varieties there's you know uh, two irons three irons four irons it just depends on what part of the electron transport chain you're trying to make but but the key is the mechanisms the 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 beginning of the heme process begins and ends with copper ALAS enzyme and ferrochelatase enzyme are absolutely copper dependent. And what's useful for people to know is that, that the first and the last three enzymes to make heme are taking place inside the matrix of the mitochondria. What's well, hanging out in the matrix? It's 50,000 atoms of, of copper think copper might be really involved in all aspects of that. So, you've got four that are taking place outside of the, the mitochondria, but the four that are taking place inside the mitochondria are actually hanging out in the matrix. So, it really begins to uh, suggest that the pivotal role that copper plays in this heme process, and especially the last step, complex or the enzyme eight in making heme is called ferro chelotase, and ferrochelatase is a crane that picks up iron and then drops it into the center of the heme molecule so it can go back out and get recycled so it can go to be made into more hemoglobin to be made into more red blood cells. Very, very important process. And then the uh, process to make iron-sulfur clusters, well, there's a rate-limiting variable, and it's called glutathione. Glutavredoxin 5, GRX5. Well, put on your thinking cap. You know who the battery is. It's copper. And so you can't, you can't make that pivotal enzyme work if it doesn't have copper. And then that disrupts the production of iron sulfur clusters. And so this recycling process is there's this constant process of, of the delivery of oxygen. It's attached to iron, although no one can explain it in detail to my satisfaction. And that iron doesn't just hang out, it needs to be recycled and put into a form that can be reused. Why? Because if it can't be reused, guess what happens? If copper is missing, the oxygen can't be activated properly, iron's hanging out, isn't being recycled and then they come together as rust. And it's it's the most basic uh, disruption of mitochondrial activity is the inability to recycle iron and recycle oxygen into water. And many scientists make the, the, the uh, statement that <clears throat> the terminal destination for iron and oxygen is the mitochondria. And that's exactly what they're talking about. And that iron needs to be recycled, turned into heme and iron sulfur clusters. And the oxygen needs to be recycled into water. I don't know where it goes, but but the mitochondria are water wheels. And if you're not making water, it becomes a ferrous wheel. And then the ferrous wheel starts to create rust all over the body. So that hopefully gives you a better sense of what the dynamics are and why the iron recycling is so important.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, I appreciate all the, the synapses that fired in your brain over the years to get that out today, because that there's a lot of insight in that, for sure. It's funny that you use that analogy, because when I'm going over someone's organic acid test results, and they show you the Krebs cycle, I tell them, think of it as a water wheel. Think of it as like you're on the casino boat. And if the water doesn't make a full revolution around, it's going to spill out. And that's what we're seeing. And the cofactors are missing. And ultimately, so it's interesting. Couple of things that come to my mind is, as you know, with the genetics, and we talked about that beforehand, at the end of the day, if your cells are not breathing effectively, if you're not making an income and you're creating an expense, you could know all the seven standard deviation of genetic challenges that happen. You still need to get the body to breathe effectively. And, and the intelligence of the body, once it has a surplus, it knows what to do with it and get out of the way where I argue, well, let's also now that it knows what to do intelligently, let's accelerate that. But aside from that, the thing that I think about, because I do a lot of training in the functional genomics and doctor, as we talked about Dr. Bob Miller, and he talked, he did a, a study, a, a Lyme study. And I don't know if you're aware of this. And he found out that those that had the more susceptibility with ferropotent or HMOX, which is recycling um, HFE enzymes, That had much more profound challenges, symptoms, problems, expressions when they had the Lyme problem. And now it makes me think of going back and looking at the copper, you know, taking it one step upstream and looking at the copper relationship and even siphoning out how much more important the the expression of illness would be not because well, obviously, because you're not exporting iron as effectively, even if it is copper available or dependent but the fact is it's very seldomly the amount of copper is is not there for those enzymes to work effectively so that's one of the things i think about the other thing i think about too Morley, is is that i didn't realize as ferropotent is the only exporter in the body i was only thinking about enterocytes i wasn't thinking along the lines of of making making red blood cells right so that's like boom like oh my gosh that's huge
1: it's not just red blood cell it's it's neurons it's astrocytes it's It's everything it's it's
0: everything yeah yeah.
1: what is every cell doing every cell is making energy if you can't make energy again to me i'm i'm absolutely baffled that no one has and and it's either an oversight on science's part which i find hard to believe but no one has been able to document what happens to iron and oxygen after the payload of oxygen is made at the mitochondria. Well, what, what, what the heck's going on here, folks? I mean, it's just, to me, it's the, it's the most glaring gap in our understanding of physiology. And then you're know, you talking about um, the iron copper dynamics. You probably have friends who have an older brother. And when you were growing up, you probably witnessed the older brothers beating up on the younger brothers. It, I mean, I've, I've got vivid memories of that. And so think of the younger brother as copper, older brother's iron, right? And Jamie Collins at the University of Florida in Gainesville done some amazing work to demonstrate that excess dietary iron crashes copper metabolism. And, it, and he's looking at a, at a macro level and also at a cellular level. And it's, it's just, it's so obvious. And what's the backbone of our immune system was energy. But but a critical factor is interleukin-2. Well, interleukin-2 is copper dependent. You know, but both the innate and acquired immune systems run on the energy of copper, but they also are critically dependent on copper. And who's talking about that? Besides you and me, I don't know a lot of people talking about it. And so it's just, it, people have this very, um, corralled perspective of how the body runs. What's a narrative? It's not nature. Nature's over here, relying on minerals and energy and, 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 and incredible uh, signaling um, mechanisms. And we're we're supposed to believe that pathogens rule all. And it's come on. It's it's so much more dynamic than that. And I think it's really um, imp- important for for people. Again, I think we've used this phrase, but. You need to ask better questions and demand better answers because we're we're not in kindergarten anymore we're we're at a very critical uh, juncture and i think we need to be very uh, discerning about the quality of the information that we're basing our decisions on right? and I, I think that's the importance of these this exchange that we're having is people are getting a, an injection of truth that that they've never probably have never heard before, at least in the sense of the intensity of this kind of of conversation.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too. The other thing I thought about when you're getting into the recycling and even before that was just the, the concept of frequency and you talked about melanin and we talked about uh, circadian rhythm or times of the day where we have the dip and all cells work on a circadian rhythm and they're ultimately synchronizing with each other to work as a system. And it's all about communication and how copper really allows the mitochondria and the, and the I guess the computer chip to be able to have the information to communicate and I also think about the the fact that um, with the with the frequency of of just the the earth, right? I mean, you think about we're we're minerals. I mean, I, I remember like as I'm trained as a as a as a chiropractor. One, I used to do training and remember thinking about the innate intelligence. Like, what's the difference? You know, God forbid if you got struck by lightning and you were dead, and or you were standing up. The difference is that energy in the body that frequency that that just that that energy that's there and and really i've told people if you could go on a time machine and and go back 200 years where the minerals were plentiful in the earth where we didn't have wi-fi and social media and we were able to maybe even the light bulb and 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 be able to go to bed when when the when it gets dark out and or go camping and get synchronized with the earth and have that frequency of the soils and the and the nutrients to really harmonize your cells. That's probably the best medicine that you could ever do, right? Morley, in terms of just get out of the way, no matter how complicated you just described what you described and what we've been talking about. It really is simple in terms of get the body what it needs, remove what it doesn't need and let the magic happen on its own. It's easier said than done. But ultimately it's getting the proper frequencies of the earth, getting the body communicating with the earth. That's what grounding is and electrons and so forth. Um, making sure that you're getting rid of the static electricity if you will, and then being able to build up the reserves so that you're not you know, only paying interest payments if you will. And you, you keep falling further and further behind on the metabolic drift and you're getting closer to that waterfall. And you don't even have to think about it. You're just doing it naturally. It's it's um, it's quite amazing. As, as I always say, Morley, as bad as it is now, I do feel it because I'm from Canada. And I was like, people used to make fun of me when I went and moved to the US because there was the whole... Um, sort of, I think Canada has a little bit of an inferiority complex, but there's a certain amount of, hey, like it's obnoxious and you go there. And I say, you know what, at the end of the day, it's the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And I do feel like that's where we are in, in healthcare and where we are in the world. And the information you bring forward is we're the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And we know so much more than we ever have known. And the body is incredibly resilient when you get out of the way and you allow it to do what it needs to do. Um, Lots of amazing things that you talked about as far as um, I'm sure we could do a part four as far as um, any loose ends that you want to add to that. I mean, I know just when you were talking about, too, about the recycling of iron, and I know a lot of people talk about, like, pyroles and having that problem. At the end of the day, I think about it's a copper the, the copper issue. That's a huge thing. And the other thing that was really enlightening when you told me is just that RBC magnesium and how deformable a red blood cell is for it to actually get into the tissues to make ATP and why it's so important to have that magnesium. Um, any other sort of things that you want to bring up that kind of comes up in your, in your head when, with all the things that I just mentioned?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it, it's useful for the listener to, to step back from this discussion. And again, I, I give high marks to, to Joel for having this kind of dialogue. I'm, I'm not a lot of people where I have this kind of free, free wheel, um, dive into, into reality, but, um, I think it's important for the listener to kind of step back and just ponder this idea that there is no such thing as iron deficiency anemia. It, it, does, it, it makes no sense on a, on a uh, geophysical level and uh, on a metabolic level, and maybe someday we can get into the, the real reality of that. But, but that becomes one of the cornerstones of belief is that anemia exists, so then I've got to feed iron it's the worst possible thing you can do is, is put excess iron into the human body. And then the second, the second issue to really come to terms with is, there's no such thing as medical disease. It, do, it doesn't exist. There, there is stress-induced mineral dysregulation that causes metabolic dysfunction. And one phrase for that is adrenal fatigue or hypothyroidism or whatever, whatever your favorite term is. But at the end of the day, every condition attached to a symptom, the, the, the reason for the title of the book and hold the book up real quick, if you would, Joel, you know, there's, yeah. there's method to my madness, it's cure your fatigue. What isn't just adrenal fatigue, we're talking about energy deficiency at the cellular level. And when you realize that, it's, that there's this deficit in energy that precedes every other breakdown in the body, whether we're talking about one standard deviation out to six or seven standard deviations, it becomes the most important understanding that this, this planet, our life, revolves around energy. What's the famous expression around that? E equals mc squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light. Well, what does that really mean? Energy is a function or it gets translated into structure and function. And if the energy changes, the structure and function of the tissue changes, it's an energetic um, equation. It, 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 it isn't that, oh, well, there was some demonic bug that got into my body and I lost, no, you, you, you lost your energy homeostasis. And that changed, a whole physiology of energy dynamics which then changed the cellular dynamics and it's important to have that sense of of understanding that there really is one mechanism of this dis-ease and it's it's about it evolves around energy deficiency the phrase that i used in the book is fatigue just so people could could grasp it but i think it's so important for people to realize that that is this um, it's, it's always playing in the background, and, it, and the point that you made earlier, Joel, which is very important, is at a, at a macro level you may feel just fine, but any symptom that you've got—headache, you know, stiff joints, um, bowel dysfunction, what, you know, blurry eyes, what, whatever it happens to be—liver, you know, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, heart disease, Lyme disease—doesn't matter what the, what the expression is. At the, at the very basis of it, is tissue is not able to make adequate energy to stay in, base, in, in harmony, in, in homeostasis. That's the underlying truth of how our, our body really works. And it's an important principle to, to realize that when I do have a symptom, well, I must be dealing with some stress and begin to, to begin to peel back that onion to find out what that stressor is is it something dietary? Is it something environmental? Is it some, some relationship issue or whatever it happens to be? And begin to understand that there's always a price to pay for the stress in our world out here is gonna turn into oxidative stress in our body. And, and better, some parts of our body are better equipped to handle that stress than others. And if there's a chronic perpetual issue in our life, well, the organ that's attached to that emotion and the Chinese figured this out thousands of years ago, that organ is gonna be more minerally challenged because it's been dealing with more stress. And that begins to explain some of the uh, the, the varieties of symptoms that people have within a community or within a, uh, a family or whatever the, the unit of abstraction is.
0: Yeah, it's a paradigm shift of what energy really is for. And, and ultimately life is never smooth sailing. And, uh, you know, when we come to a a hill and we're in a car, you you can't maintain the same speed to necessarily overcome it. You have to put more pressure in the accelerator to overcome that. And that's really the analogy is when you have a a bigger stress in your life, you, you need to produce energy to to bring your body back to normal or always changing, which which is which is amazing. The thing that I would probably plant the seed for now, Morley, is now that we understand the the what we're not being told. And I really like the words misled and misfed. It it comes down to that's a that's a priority now, not which I was doing a lot of thinking after we got off the call last time. And it's 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 important to make sure people are educated. And I love the word democratization of of healthcare or democratization of energy and giving it back to the user, but the deeper purpose of going forward and removing the, the, the barriers that don't allow us to understand these things and being misled and the fact that we're misfed and, and, and the reasons for that, I, I think that there's a deeper purpose in educating a community and helping them democratize energy has to come through laws being written and and companies being penalized and so forth and so on but amazing conversation nonetheless and I you know what I always ask someone and I'd be interested for, for, for you this as well even though I'm keeping it open for part four five and six is you know one of the things that I ask my guests are if you would have known now what you what you would have wished you would have known then, or with the sage like Morley that knows his information that he knows now, with sort of the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Morley when you were going through life and and having some obstacles and so forth so forth, what would you have wished you would have told that? more naive or not understanding morally guy that would have accelerated your learning curve or helped you get over the humps quicker? Or what would have been the most useful piece of information that you wish you would have known then that you know now?
1: That's a great question. Um, when, you're, when you're in college and you want to be a doctor and you're going through a, a pre-med program, which is very rigorous, and you, you can imagine, you well, you've gone through a program, you know how, how just physically and emotionally exhausting it is. But at, at an undergraduate level, it's pretty demanding. And you get to the end of the, the process and you come up empty. And, you know, you get, you get rejections. And so the natural conclusion is, I wasn't smart enough. And so you, you start out your adult life thinking that you're not smart enough. And that becomes sort of a handicap, if you will, for going forward. I think what what the sage in me now would say, you know, first of all, maybe you would have been a lousy doctor. That that would be a good thing to know. But, but you didn't get low grades because you're not smart. You got low grades because you see the game differently. And you didn't understand, and, I, and this was my dilemma. It's like, why do I need to know what the Doppler effect is if I wanna be a surgeon? I couldn't. I couldn't connect those dots. I just didn't, And it wasn't just enough to say, well, I, I mastered the Doppler effect and therefore I get, I just like, this thing's no sense at all. Why am I? And so I think it's, um, what I've learned since that uh, more sensitive period of my life is that I wasn't learning what made sense to me. I wasn't learning the right things. I wasn't studying the right areas. And by a quirk of fate, and I do mean a quirk, the universe said, well, let's, let's see what he does with this mineral thing and it became to me it became oxygen i was able to breathe maybe for the first time in my life professionally to see wow i really do understand this but it was in a language that i understood immediately and then it was a it was a subject matter that i got excited talking about and wanting to teach people and then wanting to extend that to reach as many people as i i can i absolutely love your goal of reaching 100 million people i think that's that's ambitious and bold and it's exactly the right number and the thing is um, when we're in our 20s we're very vulnerable now now I'm 69 as of a few weeks ago and I've lived a lived a very full life very have had amazing experiences Four kids who are just off the charts in terms of their uh, talents on many levels but have had life experiences that I never would have expected to have but I've that I've been blessed with an opportunity to, to do my life's work, which is not many people can say that, but I can honestly, the, the, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson has a famous poem on success, and, and I love that poem, and one of my favorite parts of that poem is to know that one life has breathed easier. And I think you experienced this in your practice as well. You you have touched thousands and thousands of lives and you know by virtue of your interaction, there are better people for it. And I've, I've been able to, to experience that and witness that. And when I first met Dr. Liz, I was absolutely mesmerized by the thousands of people she had touched in her chiropractic career and just the, the following that she had. And I, I didn't have any of that. I didn't know, I didn't, I was so... I was so in, in, in awe of it. And I never imagined that in my lifetime, I would be able to experience anything that even comes close to it. So I think it's important for people to, to realize that sometimes you, if, if it appears that the, the door is closing, you know, sound of music, there's always a window that's opening. And it may take years and years for that window to open, but to know and believe in yourself that you you do have a reason for being here. We all have a purpose in being on this planet. We're here to learn lessons, and I never would have would have predicted the, the focus that I have or the the kind of impact that it's having. And it's um, it's a very special moment to know that um, that there is a, a community, a growing community of people who really ex- get excited about. These dots that are being connected, and, and that people are able to springboard with the work that they do, like you do, and other people who just say, "I just want to help people with the RCP or whatever." It doesn't matter what the what the venue is, but it's these foundational um, components are making sense, but they're also allowing people to have uh, their life back. And I think that's really a very special moment. And and I think you know, in retrospect, I don't know that I could have understood what that sage person is now saying. When I was in my 20s, I was an insufferable pain in the butt to deal with. And I don't know that I really would have understood it. But now looking back, as you pose the question, it sure would have been nice to try to tap into that and, and let the uh, the younger uh, Turk know that there's there's different avenues of expression and go easy on yourself and just find the one that feels right for you and if and if the first couple paths don't make sense then keep trying because there there is a there is a path that we're all meant to follow but we need to go through sometimes these schools of hard knocks that are very uncomfortable very painful but they're very profound in their ability to prepare us for our calling if you will
0: yeah it's a great answer and i think the 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 um, i guess the answer though because there's so much you put in there i guess the answer that i'm inferring is you would have told that 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 younger morley it's okay to not worry about the fact that this doesn't interest you redefine how you're interpreting it in terms of you're not dumb it's just not in your it's not in your wheelhouse and (laughs) uh, yeah yeah and but the thing is that's an important lesson with the people that i teach too is is it's the it's the spin we put on things and sometimes i feel like the best answers which you kind of did mention i don't think i would have been ready for it and you know when the when the teacher a student is ready the teacher will appear right and i think a lot of the times we we put a lot of energy and negative energy in something that is serving us to get to the next step to the next step to the next step and really be sage like in those when it's, un, un, when it's unfolding so that you don't attach a negative energy to it, or at least a stress energy or a hypoxic inducing energy that causes a major problem. And most importantly, what I tell clients is be grateful for that, but, You know, be very grateful. Like if I had not questioned, if I had just had a different personality and I would have just studied that, would I have been a good doctor? Would I have been happy? Would have I had a midlife crisis? And, and put that gratitude of I'm so grateful that I, I, I figured it out and I had to go through those trials and tribulations like that's back to the analogy again of having to put your foot on the accelerator where the only way that you're going to sail in a sailboat is if there is a wind if there's no wind, you're not going anywhere. Now, if the wind's coming in your face, it's a lot harder, but you could tack back and forth and get to where you want to get to. So I think it's really important to put that gratitude spin on it and, and be grateful for it and embrace and it not just not just sort of go through the emotion or the the, the, the saying of I'm grateful, but energetically feeling that gratitude. And and so there's lots of wisdom in what you said there Marley. I really do appreciate our conversations and, and your insight and, um, definitely you know again it probably hopefully everyone's that listening to this is listening to the first and the second one but just a, always like a good call to action on where they get the reports or where they learn more about the the stops and starts definitely they can get the book on any place where they get the, a book service but where are they getting the information to know more about everything we've talked about today
1: yeah the main website is the name of the movement if you will, it's the root cause protocol, RCP. So the website is rcp123.org. There are two um, social media landing sites. There's the MAG Facebook group has about over 205,000 people now. Um, And we've got a Facebook page, it's all about the RCP. Um, I think there's like 30 or 40,000 there. So it's just, it's a, a mind blowing set of, uh, of people. And then um, again, the book, of course, you go to any platform that you feel comfortable buying from. Uh, you're not gonna find it in your local bookstore. It's, it's not gonna, we're not quite there yet. Uh, there is gonna be, there is a, an ebook version as well as a physical, and there will be an audio um, in the spring, um, hopefully by April, that's, that's the goal. And, um, People are always wanting to to reach out. They're very welcome to contact me by my email, morleyrobbins at gmail.com. And then my phone is 847-922-8061. The website has information about the protocol, the RCP, stops and starts. It has information about research that we're doing. It has information on the training that we do. The next class, uh, group 15 will start up, I believe it's February 9th which I think is a Thursday, and, um, and it will go for 16 weeks going forward. Uh, and a lot of people are, are really find that to be a, an important stepping stone to incorporating these concepts, whether they are a licensed professional like yourself, or just a citizen scientist that wants to make a difference in their community. So it's, it's a, a useful way to incorporate the information. The research has all been kind of compiled so people can learn it in bite-sized pieces and um, we're just very excited to have this um, opportunity to to share this information with folks.
0: Yeah awesome well listen again we'll keep it we'll keep it open for for part four and Mm -hmm. um, definitely learn a lot on my own when you do these talks with me especially with the recycling of iron there's some ah ahas that I always get with that and Definitely at the end of the day, it comes down to taking action with the information. It's not just a feel good, hear it. If you don't apply it, it's like you didn't even hear it. So make sure whatever you do with the information, less is more, remove the things that deplete your cell's ability to breathe effectively do the things that help yourselves do that as well and start to get out of the way and see things happen. So Morley, thank you so much for, for everything that you do and um, look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for tuning into today's Truth About Your Health podcast, where our mission is to expose the truth about adrenal fatigue to burnt out men and women so that we can empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. If you've liked what you've heard today and you're interested to see if this is a good fit for you to work with our Truth About Adrenal Fatigue recovery program, here's what to do next. Head on over to thetruthaboutadrenalfatigue.com, all one word, forward slash podcast, forward slash booking. Again, thetruthaboutadrenalfatigue.com, forward slash podcast, forward slash booking, and book an appointment to speak to one of our team members. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and get crystal clear on three things. Number one. Where exactly are you right now with your health? What's working? Troubleshoot everything that you're doing or not doing and most importantly, figure out what's being missed and how much it's impacting you. On the flip side, we'll then tell you what would your health be like if it was solved and what would you be doing differently and what would that look like so that by the end of the call, we will tell you everything that we think you need to do to bridge that gap and do it quickly. If we feel like you're a good fit for what we do, we'll tell you exactly how that will work but there's no obligation to have to do any further work together. That way, no matter what happens, the call is going to give you tremendous value, hope, and direction. Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. And our mission is to empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized as we've been helping coaching clients all over the world be able to transform their lives. Isn't it time for you to transform yours? Head on over to the truthaboutadrenalfatigue.com forward slash podcast forward slash booking and book your discovery call today.